John Decker focusing on the cost of all this for Donald Trump and what it means. Good morning, John Decker. Hey, it means a lot. You you may not think that, well, you know, because Donald Trump sends out these fundraising appeals and his uh, political action committee sends out fundraising appeals, and, and they've been very successful. But as you know, Jack, it's a zero-sum game, campaigns are. Every dollar that you're spending on legal expenses is a dollar that you're not spending on efforts to defeat Joe Biden in the 2024 presidential election. Last year, in 2023, uh, Donald Trump's political action committee spent $51 million in legal expenses, and that's before any trial has even taken place, all these pretrial efforts. And we know there could indeed be a criminal trial that's put on the calendar for Donald Trump this year, which means more money will be spent on legal defenses in the weeks and months ahead. Well, John, you're a member of the bar, so you know the law. You've answered a question when you said that his PAC or his group was spending this on legal funds. So legally, that's allowable. If a candidate raises federal money for federal office, he or she can use it on, on legal fees to defend themselves as well. Is that is that is that legal? Not a problem as it relates to political action committees. And, you know, there are those who wish to uh, contribute their money to PACs uh, because those PACs do not have to de- disclose uh, who is donating to those political action committees, unlike uh, an official campaign committee where under federal law you must disclose uh, every donor to a, a presidential campaign. So uh, that's where the, a lot of this money is being spent, and there is a concern in Trump's inner circle about uh, whether they will have the necessary resources uh, for a head-to-head matchup with Joe Biden uh, as we get closer and closer to the general election in November. John Decker, our own White House correspondent, live this morning. Good morning, Hampshire, the Pulse of Thank you, John. Thanks a lot, Jack. Bye-bye. All right, I want to switch gears. We thank our friends at the New Hampshire State Police, Public Safety, and Auto Fair for our regular segment. We're delighted to bring in Lieutenant Mike Cody, Troop Commander of uh, Troop F, as in Twin Mountain area, to share information on an upcoming blood drive in memory of a retired fellow lieutenant and he's here to join us as well as talk about the mission at troop f but uh lieutenant thank you for joining us on the pulse of an h yes good morning how are you this morning doing okay doing okay well tell us about the blood uh the blood drive i know the effort we have a little bit of time i think it's uh april 15th but tell us about uh the lieutenant for whom this is for in his memory yeah so um I'm very blessed to have known uh, Lieutenant John Scarenza. He was the lieutenant um, here at Troop F, the troop commander, when I was a young man. Um, just a little bit about uh, Lieutenant John Scarenza. John started his uh, law enforcement career with the Gorham Police Department um, in uh, September of 1982. Uh, he joined the New Hampshire State Police uh, and made his way all the way up uh, to the troop commander, um, where he retired in 2009, but uh, remained on as an auxiliary uh, until uh, 2018. Um, and um, yeah, John, unfortunately, um, sir came after a courageous battle to uh, uh, cancer, uh, multiple myeloma, to be exact, uh, April 22nd of last year. So uh, um, in, in John's final, uh, you know, final days, um, he was the recipient of a fair amount of blood, um, obviously holding on to every precious moment um, with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, as, you know, the troop commander when I was a young man and coming up through the ranks, 
um, it seemed like the, uh, the thing to do uh, is to get a blood drive up here and uh, in Lieutenant's honor. And you know, Lieutenant, and good for you, and we're going to talk about the uh, how people can help, and they should help it, not just the blood drive for the late lieutenant and your colleague, but for people. I, we, I have a good friend who whose loved one um, went through a similar battle the last year or two, and you don't think of cancer patients, the need for blood, especially transfusions as they battle whatever whatever kind of cancer. So you never know who needs what loved one of yours may need blood, and there's only one source of blood still, and it's from it's from people. So tell us about the who, what, when, where, and how people can help, Lieutenant. Yeah, so, um, you know, in the first instance, in the first, in, in the first uh, ripple, if you will, um, we're happy to, uh, to collaborate um, uh, with, with the Northern community uh, and the American Red Cross um, to host this blood drive. And it's going to be hosted up here in, uh, in the town of Shelburne at the uh, Town and Country Resort um, in Shelburne. Scott Labnan is the owner of that resort and uh, that inn and um, made this space available for us. So big shout out to Scott Labnan and his family. Um, but uh, April 15th uh, from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m., um, you know, we're asking folks to um, obviously uh, make an appointment. Uh, you know, you can go to www.redcrossblood.org and, and sign up. Um, but like, to, to your point, Jack, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's more than it's it's more than just John. It's more than just one person. I mean, this is a uh, is an absolute need for blood. Uh, I, I donate regularly, and uh, the phone calls seem to never stop. Uh, they always seem to be in a shortage. So, and that Shelburne Inn and the family, Scott, uh, that's such a landmark and a classic place. I remember as a kid and my aunts and uncles and parents going there from you know driving over from uh, West Bethel, Maine, or from the <laughs> New Hampshire side and that row of birch trees. I, there's a beautiful inn there, and uh, they've done a great job over the years. Tell us, Lieutenant, thank you for this. Again, go to the uh, Red Cross site to learn more. Tell us a little bit about uh, Troop F, the command. I know we're you know we're in that mid-February stage, so you're still in the the winter period here, but. Uh, how are things, and, and how's the command, and what, any trends you're seeing, or uh, things busy in the North Country? Yeah, so, um, I mean, Troop F is, is, is uh, as probably listeners know, and you know, uh, um, the rural part of New Hampshire, uh, the largest landmass, uh, where we are responsible for 40% of the state's uh, public safety, but don't always have the uh, population, uh, or at least not until the weekends. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we've seen influx of tourism and everything else, uh, We've been busy with multiple projects to include border safety uh, up here, which has, you know, been uh, in and out in the uh, in the news. And we're also preparing for the uh, April 8th solar eclipse that uh, could bring uh, some large uh, large amount of population to the state uh, to see that uh, to see that event. Well, uh, good stuff. And how many uh, how have you been on the uh, the, the running Troy F uh, lieutenant? Um, so, all in all, I've been in North Country law enforcement for 24 and a half years, uh, but I've been assigned to the state police. I was a local uh, police officer before, but I've been uh, with the state police for nine and a half year, uh, 19 and a half years, 19 and a half. And uh, what originally, you mentioned the lieutenant who had passed and how he had started in Gorham and continued auxiliary after being a troop commander. What brought you into service? You know, I went to military at a high school, and I guess I just longed for that structured lifestyle. Probably, uh, what 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 once seemed to be oh my god moment turned into a, a more of a lifestyle and a yearning. I think to to continue that uh, in, in in public safety as well. All right, thank you, Lieutenant, for talking about the important blood drive and the mission of Troop F. We thank you, Lieutenant, and uh, you have a good one and a great uh, going into the weekend here. Thank you. All right, thank you. Have a nice day, Jason Lacroix. 
he doesn't forget a thing. He's on top of it because he runs Auto Fair in our region, of course, locations. But President's Day is a classic great day to go in and check out their their inventory. Time to do something. Better terms, better deals. Jason, an update on President's Day and really the whole weekend. Yeah, very excited for it, Jack. You know, we, President's Day has always been a big thing up in the Northeast, and the last couple of years really hasn't been because we haven't had any inventory. But inventory's back. We have over 1,800 new cars in the ground, over 600 used cars. So we have plenty of cars, great deals, and excited for the weekend. So what do you say to someone, because I've heard this from a few folks who've heard me talk about auto fare on the show, and they'll say, well, have a used vehicle, or my kid has a used vehicle. Is now a good time? I know they're looking for used vehicles, but are the terms I'm going to get, because, you know, interest rates, if you're getting a new house, and eventually, even though there's different terms with dealerships, you have Honda, Hyundai, Ford, I could go on, Nissan, and Stratum. Is it a good time if you want to flip out, you know, get a get a good trade, used vehicle, but you're either going to have to buy or use another used or new vehicle? Is that a good time right now? It, it's the best time that we've had, really, in years. Uh, you know, rates are up. Everyone knows that. But, um, you know, there's some certified programs that will help with, with lower rates. The manufacturers are supporting lower rates. Um, you know, lease programs are coming back. There's, there's been a shortage in used cars for quite a while because, you know, we didn't sell nearly as many new cars. Uh, but that's stabilizing a bit. So, you know, there are you – know, I'm pretty, pretty excited to have 600 used cars on the ground and still, you know, out there every single day trying to buy more. Um, and, you know, every time we sell a new car, we – almost always get a nice retail trade out of it. So it's a great time, um, you know, especially if you've been waiting. Uh, this, is, this is the time to come in. And, you know, new versus used, sometimes people think, well, I'm not going to get that good of a price. I may have 75000 on my, 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 you know, whatever vehicle it is, my Honda, my, my Ford pickup truck. Uh, am I going to get a good, am I going to get a good price if I want to put it towards something new or used? And what's that, what's the answer there? So 75,000 miles is low for a pre-owned car. Um, you know, these cars are lasting a lot longer than they ever have. Uh, we take in cars. We actually took in an, an Accord the other day that had 330,000 miles. Now, we're not going to retail that. That's, that's <laughs> been better days. But, uh, you know, 75,000, 100,000, 150,000 is still demand for all those vehicles. Uh, SUVs are hot. Hybrids are super hot. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's something for everybody. What was that vehicle you said with 330,000 miles in Accord? Yeah, it was an Accord station wagon stick, and it was in super good, super, super great shape. You're going to have to uh, put that on a pedestal out in front and just make it like a like a relic for people we, to look at. We put it in the showroom for a couple of days, but uh, did it, you? it's gone. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Again, though, I'm, I'm amazed at, um, like you just said, the technology, but also how much longer these vehicles are going. And they're well-engineered. I mean, you, you also have a, a fleet of brands that I think bode well on the endurance and the service side. Um, and let's run through, again, for our listening region, where, where your locations are. I know you have Auto Fair, Nissan, and Stratum right off exit 11 in Stratum, Auto Fair, Nissan. But run, run through a little bit of the locations. Yeah, so right here in Manchester, we've been here for over 30 years. So we have Honda, Hyundai, Genesis, Ford. Uh, we have our, our uh, Volkswagen store down in Nashua. Uh, we have a Toyota store down in Tuxbury, Mass. And we have a Subaru and Ford store in Haverhill, plus the Nissan store that, that you brag about every time I talk to you. And you know, let's not forget about our collision center if you happen to get in the fender uh, bender over there on, um, on John Devine. And, you know, you mentioned Hyundai and Genesis. Are they, are they now separate brands or the same, you know, kind of a higher end of the Hyundai? They are separate brands. It is the higher higher brand of Hyundai. 
Uh, we are uh, breaking ground, I believe, next month or the month after, um, building a state-of-the-art facility over in Bedford. So they will eventually be separate, but uh, currently still in the same location over in Manchester. And you have Volkswagen as well, right, in uh, yeah, is it Merrimack, yeah, Nashua? Yep. yep. All right, so once again... Uh, is it better on uh, if I'm uh, going to be looking to shop and coming to one of your locations, Jason LaCroix Auto Fair? Again, several locations in Manchester, but around our region. Is it better to come in, you know, Monday morning, President's Day, or am I going to do well over the weekend as well? No, I would go to autofair.com and start looking around and see what you're interested in. You can call us, you can email, send us, you know, a lead of you know, whatever information you're looking for. We'll make it as easy as possible. Our mission is to create the best ownership experience for all of our customers. All right, Jason, thanks again. Congrats, and uh, busy weekend. President's Day, a great time. And, again, a lot of inventory on base, as well as, what would you say, 600 um, used? Just is, it, is that just at Autofair Honda? No, that's in the group. Okay, in the group. Okay, well, I appreciate it. All of them it. you can see right at autofair.com. All right, thanks so much. Thanks, Jack. Michael Graham, New Hampshire Journal, nhjournal.com. Really kind of uh, had an impact on my show yesterday because of a piece they had about this um, – inclusive website for state agencies and employees on certain words that are preferred versus using other words. And I had some fun uh, on that yesterday saying this isn't California, it's New Hampshire. And I think Governor Sununu agreed once he took a look at this portal. And I guess the understanding is the governor wanted to know if this was grandfathered from another administration. But then again, if you look at the inclusive language, the governor couldn't use the term grandfathered. Uh, the answer is no, and he said it's nuts, and it's taken down. Michael Graham, NHJournal.com. Good morning, Michael. Busy day, busy fun. First of all, I owe you an apology, Jack Heath, and I want to apologize to all everyone. You, in fact, do apparently have listeners. I was, <laughs> no one is more stunned than I to discover this, but apparently people – I'm not the only person foolish enough to tune in every day. And uh, your listeners responded, and we uh, – New Hampshire Journal, who broke the story yesterday, and you were kind enough to pick it up. Uh, heard from the governor's office, and obviously they're very busy. You know, they've got a lot going on. They've got the state of the state today at 1 p.m., which nhjournal.com will be covering. And then tomorrow, there's the meeting with the fiscal committee where they're going to ask for the $850,000 to send the uh, New Hampshire guardsmen down to the southern border. So, and more on that in a second. So, in the middle of all that, they had to stop and send us a statement that the governor and Commissioner Goulet, who, by the way, is a holdover from the Hassan administration, I think that's interesting. We're made aware of this website, and just for people who don't know, it's a web. The information technology people posted this for the internal, you know, network of the state, saying to the people who run the website for the whatever, the forestry division, the health and human service division, when you do your website for the people, here are guidelines for your language. Don't use he or she. Use they as a singular pronoun. Don't use grandfathered in. Don't use guys. Like, hey, guys, let's do this. Don't use normal. The word normal is bad, et cetera. And so the commissioner, after being approached by the governor, took that page down and that guidance is gone. And then Governor Sununu released maybe the greatest political statement in the history of New Hampshire since live for your die. Quote, I thought, note what words jump out of this at you, Jack. I thought the post was nuts and contacted Commissioner Goulet to ascertain whether it was grandfathered in from a previous administration or if it followed normal protocols. Don't worry, guys. He assured me that the citizens of New Hampshire can sleep easy knowing the post has been taken down. I, I thought that was 
spot on, per pitch perfect spot. <laughs> and Michael, today uh, the governor's state of the state, which I wanted you to touch upon, you'll be covering it. He won't have to worry, as I said earlier, if he refers to Senate President Jeb Bradley saying he's done a good job. He doesn't have to worry and say they've done a good job. He can say he's done a good job. Or the citizens of New Hampshire can enjoy a strong fiscal budget or state you know, economy. He can say the word citizen without, a far, without offending right. a foreign guest. And it'll be interesting to see how Governor Sununu chooses to use his final state of the state. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? You know, what do you think? Well, so... The I think the natural thing will be like a recap. Look at what we did when I got here. And, and he has a lot, obviously, to point to a, a lot of tax cuts, a lot of economic growth, a lot of, of population growth, comparatively speaking, for New England. So he's got to, you know, you can't argue with the record. But I know that there are Republicans who are hoping what he's going to continue to do what he did with this uh, guardsman immigration deal, separate from whether or not it's a good or bad idea. It was smart politics for Republicans because it forced Joyce Craig and Cindy Warmington, who have been desperately trying to avoid saying anything about the border and immigration, to talk about it. And Joyce Craig stumbled when she did talk about it because she condemned uh, Morse and Ayotte, the two Republicans, for supporting it while they didn't support that $118 billion border Ukraine-Israel thing. And then she was asked directly, so you wouldn't send troops to the border? And then she refused to answer. She, she hemmed and hawed and, and wrapped all around. So, Cindy Warmington, even worse, she still doesn't know what her position is on this, still won't comment in public. And both of them have declined a dozen requests from reporters, a dozen, Jack. What is your position on sanctuary policies? We see them in Massachusetts. see what's happening with Governor Healy, who has endorsed Joyce Craig. We see what's happening at Logan Airport, where they have uh, migrants sleeping on the floor. You see what happened where a minority community lost its um, uh, you know, rec center uh, to yeah, yeah. migrants. You see suburban communities being asked, will you please take these people? Those are all related to sanctuary policies. Do you, Joyce Craig, support them? And the answer for 100 days now has been, I don't want to talk about this. And so Republicans are hoping that Sununu will use his speech to frame issues at, you know, that then reporters will go to Craig in Warmington and the other Democrats running in November and say, where are you on these? But we'll see if he does that or not. What elderly man ran for president in New Hampshire in 2020 and said, flood the border, let them all in? Well, I don't think he said that, but that certainly you know, he, one of the first things he did was to reverse border policies. He now says that he doesn't have the power to do anything about the border. Well, you, Mr. President, you reversed the policies, so you could unreverse them. Uh, but uh, it, I, I think it's so. What we're going to see shaping up, Jack, uh, when you ask Cindy Warmington or George Craig about the border, they talk about abortion, and when you ask. Kelly Ayotte and Chuck Morse. I will tell you, yesterday, Chuck, you, you had a really interesting interview with Chuck Morse. He laid out his position straight up, and you pointed out that Democrats are going to describe supporting a late-term abortion ban as a total abortion ban. That They did that in 2022. They're going to mislead people with their marketing. And uh, so it's abortion versus immigration. We'll see which one has more resonance with the voters in November. Talk about uh, New Hampshire sending troops to the southern border. I know uh, Georgia just did as well. That's right. Uh, Brian Kemp just sent some troops over, and several states are. And one of the things that's happening, and one of, and this is why I wish these candidates would talk more, because I am interested in their position. The premise of uh, of Governor Abbott is we have the right to defend our uh, our state, 
that, that this is our territory, although it's part of the United States and federal law supersedes it, we haven't given up all of our rights as a sovereign state to defend our citizens. And that's what I'm using to defend the border. And so Governor Sununu and a group of other governors, all Republicans, wrote a letter supporting Abbott's announcement. Does Joyce Craig believe it? For example, you know, more and more uh, 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 coyotes are using the northern border in the Swanton sector to bring people in because there's less you know, patrolling than the southern border. Now, now they're maybe not doing it at our little 58-mile stretch, but across the Swanton sector, uh, the crossings are up 1,900%. Is Joyce Craig saying she wouldn't send troops there? Is Joyce Craig saying that's the wrong thing to do? And as long as the Hampshire Journal, I mean, people need just people need to keep asking. That's all I'm saying. Just keep asking these questions. All right. Thank you, Michael Graham, and uh, State of the State about a couple hours from now. Well, to, you are o'clock. a fine elderly citizen and one of my favorite guys. With a good memory. You know that. With a good memory. <laughs> hey, no brown bag lunch for you today, sir. All right. Don't worry if that manhole cover is off. It's a synthetic manhole cover. Thank you. Got it. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. Back and uh, going to get an update on the Democrat perspective on the state of the state coming up at 1 today. Governor Sinod, of course, on his way out, not running again. We'll see the tone. We'll see if immigration, for example, border stuff, big uh, topics today. Uh, but first, Scott Kimbler. Uh, in for Aaron Real, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, talking about Fulton County, Georgia, and an update from Georgia. Take it away, Scott. Hey, good morning. What's happening today is there is a hearing to determine if Fonnie Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, uh, should remain as a prosecutor, or her office, if her office should remain as a prosecuting body of uh, President, former President Donald Trump and his um, co-defendants, regarding the alleged attempting to overturn the election results of the presidential election here in Georgia uh, from just a few years ago. And this has become uh, such a big deal, and it, it's, on the surface, seems very innocuous, uh, but will have you know, wide-stretching ramifications. She has a relationship with her special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, that she hired to assist in prosecuting uh, former President Trump. And now it has come into question whether this uh, relationship, one, was mm-hmm. even appropriate to begin with, but also did it start before the Trump indictment? And if it did, then that puts her in a very, very bad light in that it appears you get, you, you get the impression of favoritism of a county vendor, and also they'll be examining if she benefited from having a relationship with the county vendor uh, because they're very limited in what they can do financially regarding uh, vendors. And if she's removed from the case, it's not just a matter of finding somebody else in the Fulton County DA's office to prosecute it. They would actually have to get an entirely different district attorney's office here in Georgia, likely in some of the coastal counties uh, far away from Atlanta, to take up this case. Right. And if they don't find a willing district attorney to take on this massive, massive case, then we could be looking at actually the very end of, of this indictment against uh, President Trump and the co-defendants. So she could yeah, – President Trump could have a victory today or a winning hand that was dealt to his team and the co-defendants team literally by Fonnie Willis. 
Interesting. Uh, you know, something a lot of people aren't uh, honing in on. Thank you very much, Scott. In for Aaron. Scott, make it a great one. You bet. Take care. All right. We're going to talk, uh, get a Democrat perspective or an analyst and strategist, uh, Lucas Meyer, one of our political analysts and all-stars, straight to the Dome. Governor is going to be giving his uh, state of the state at one. Of course, he's on his way out, not running again, Lucas. And I, I don't think there's going to be any big, gritty, bold talk, but I may be wrong. It'll be interesting, the tone... Will it be reflective? We'll talk about just fiscal stuff and the state of New Hampshire's fiscal ship. We'll be talking about border stuff. We'll get political. But Lucas, what do you what do you think? I haven't seen any drafts or anything yet. What do you what do you uh, what do you project? Uh, what do you, what are you thinking on that? Yeah. Good morning, Jack. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a good question. My my gut here is they'll feel a little bit more like a graduation speech than a state of the state, where he's yeah. sort of imparting his wisdom onto the legislature as he sails off into the consultant pundit uh, sunset. Um, but I imagine it'll be a litany of his accomplishments. I'll be keeping an eye towards what credits does he give to the legislature. Is it about him? Is it about what they were able to do coming together? I think what you will see is a gubernatorial campaign, certainly on the Democratic side, use it as an opportunity to talk about the contrast between the past um, six years of Governor Sununu or eight years of Governor Sununu. Um, and their vision for the future. And I would be, I'll also be interested to see how those campaigns message relative to do they actually talk about the, the governor's record or do they look forward um, and talk about the Republican agenda in the state house, starting to think about how they pivot their messaging away from Governor Sununu, who's no longer on the ballot, and towards a broader Republican message, certainly as the Republican primary um, worked its way itself out. But um, the only other thing I think could come up in the speech, which will be, which will, I think, uh, could be a, let's say, some tea leaves for the future, is if the governor uses this opportunity as a platform to talk about uh, sending the National Guard troops to the New Hampshire border, yeah. um, which I have seen a lot of bipartisan rancor about that decision. Um, that folks are really not excited to see the national politics come to play here. Um, and not seeing it, seeing it as a political stunt. So does the governor lean into that in his state of the state? Yeah. And to me, that would indicate an agenda for his own you know, agenda after he's out of office. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I'll be keeping my eye on. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I think he will. I think he will go talk about the border. He was recently there, and uh, you know, both north and south. Um, you know, I don't think you'll get much into the Trump, Haley, or Biden stuff because of how this nomination process is looking. But I will, you know, always... He he almost seemed to he almost has a hard time resisting taking some political shot at our federal delegation, the Democrats in Washington. You think he will? Oh, probably. I mean, that's, it seems to be in his real house. I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I think it would be impressive if he used the as an opportunity to speak out against Donald Trump since he did so much uh, for Governor Haley. But that seems to have faded a bit um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, so I wouldn't count on it, but I do. Um, I, I do think you are right, Jeff. All right, Lucas. Anything else uh, catching your eye in terms of state stuff, state bills, any yeah, legislation? Think, uh, Friday is the uh, tomorrow is the housing day in the legislature. The special committee on housing um, has a number of good proactive bipartisan bills looking at how uh, we're handling the housing crisis in New Hampshire. How do we build more units? How do we do accessory dwelling units? How do we figure out? Um, rejiggering uh, parking standards because right now I'm like I'm I'm incredibly lucky, Jack. Like I, I I got dumb luck and I bought a house in 2018, 
so too many of my friends and colleagues, yeah. the the American dream of owning a home is not even a pipe dream. It's not even a consideration. Right. So I think the, you know I think those these are really important economic issues that it's good to see some bipartisan compromise. But you know rubber will hit the road once they hit the floor for for votes. So we'll be keeping an eye peeled on that. But some good stuff happening in the state house on that front. Well, I agree with you completely on that. New Hampshire, certain, pretty much across the state, we have an affordable housing crisis. It's not a problem, a challenge. It's actually a crisis to rent or be able to afford to buy anything. It's certainly for younger folks. And, and frankly, we don't talk about it. Some seniors are being priced out of the communities yeah, they live in as well. We want, those, we want those folks to be able to live out their right. golden years where they want. We don't want to kick yep. them out of their houses. So let's, we, can, we, can, we can figure it out, Jack. I'm sure we can. All right. Well, you'll be uh, probably drafting some of your future State of the State addresses later on today. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Jack. Dr. Vic, on this Thursday, chilly Thursday, good morning. Good morning, Jack. How are you doing doing today? First person who's asked and gives a damn. I'm doing okay. Yeah, I do care, Jack. You're probably in warmer climate than I am. You're a uh, you're a very sensitive individual. You probably were in favor of that inclusive language website for state employees. Oh my goodness, unbelievable! I think of myself as a normal citizen, Jack, and I don't no. care who that offends. Right? You know what's <laughs> weird about that? You know, I said this yesterday. But I want to get your take before I get about my second economic stuff. I look at a scale of one to ten. You could say it's on the lower side of the Richter scale, but but there's a point here and there's a precedence. And one person in a state agency, or hence a federal agency, same thing can apply. One person can be the, the woke or political correctness referee for, I mean, how many, I don't even know, we have a lot of state employees, right, in the state agencies in New Hampshire. We're yeah. a relatively small state. But a lot of people, to start putting out an index like a college, like Stanford would, and their social governance on words to try to avoid so you're inclusive and you don't hurt someone's feelings. So one person <clears throat> is making a decision that the word, if you're a state employee, don't you don't want to use the word citizen because it might imply some offensiveness to a foreign guest or national. Like, who cares? Yeah. No, uh, no, what's I'm wrong with, with the word citizen? Or elderly is somehow mean. Or if Governor Sununu today in his state of the state praises Jeb Bradley, the Senate president, saying, He's done a good job. They want you to say they've done a good job. And, you know, the gender, I mean, I, I, okay, the goal well, may be. wrong grammar, too, Jack, right? I, mean, I know, I know. plural word. <laughs> I know, but, but I, guess, I guess, you know, the goal may look good on paper, but in reality, is this a problem? And one person gets to decide that it is. Well, Jack, it is a problem, right? Let's be honest. Uh, and, you know, I've been running around talking about my new book, and everyone that I've talked to seems to be fascinated. And I don't know why this is so shocking, but, you know, you know the story because I've shared, with, shared it with you here on air. I got in trouble, literally in trouble, for referring to America as a melting pot. That is not appropriate, at least in the academic institutions, because it is considered a loss of people's identity when they melt away into one amorphous American whole. And I grew up thinking that was a good thing. <laughs> so right? what, what, mushroom, what mushroom was the person who made that decision to reprimand you? Was this at Harvard? Yes, it was. Yeah. Harvard University. So what, what mushroom were they taking uh, yeah. <laughs> to make that conclusion? No, look, they, it gets better, Jack. They told me the correct and sensitive way to describe America and all that's good and glorious about this nation is referring to America as a mixed salad. 
because as a mixed salad, Jack, you can stay the cucumber you are, and I can be a carrot, and, you know, J-Dog can be lettuce or what have you, and we can still be better together, yet be separate also. So correct me if I'm wrong. They're they're giving you a hard time, and your family immigrated and came here legally from another country to America for a better life, and they're telling you how to refer to the country that your family came to. That's right. That's exactly right. These are generally the elites that like to set agendas in these academic institutions. So, uh, so you know, I'm not surprised that this sort of tendency exists, but it's ultimately very destructive. It focuses on what is different about us rather than what we have in common. We are a great nation that has a lot, a lot of our citizens, and I'm going to use that word even if it's offensive to some, a lot of our citizens have a lot in common and they're proud of being here and they have real excitement about the opportunity that this country presents, right? So we have a lot in common. Why do we have to focus on the differences? I, I, love, the, I love the clause in this site, which is now history, because the governor I talked a lot about on the show yesterday, you heard about it, looked into it, and he said, no, this is nuts. It's coming down. But exactly. the term normal, you couldn't say yeah. if you're a state trooper, they didn't want you to say the person was driving um, not normally, yep. you know, at 110 miles per hour. Well, what's wrong with describing? What's, the, what's wrong with normal? Yeah. Because if someone's not, if, they, if someone's different, they feel abnormal? Yeah. No, look, I think we actually want to make America normal again. (laughs) I think that's a good phrase, right? Like, actually, we want to go back towards normal, not run away from it. You know, uh, know, speaking of Harvard, you know, a year or two ago, I don't know if it's still, but the uh, social governance dean at Stanford University, kind of an Ivy League wannabe out west, put in the professor-student inclusive language guidebook for the year. So this would have been a year or two ago. They They don't want the faculty and the students to use the term American or America on campus. Yep, because if that. someone wasn't from America, it might be offensive to them. Well, then who gives a damn? Get some Kleenex out. Get give them a, give them yeah. a box of Kleenex when they come there, and they if they don't like the term America in America in in California, then get them some Kleenex. I mean, get out yep. the bubble wrap. Yep. Listen, I'm with you, Jack. I totally uh, agree. Um, and it's more than that, right? And there's so many other words and phrases that are deemed offensive. Yeah, you don't know, keep these. Trying to keep track of it. Keep these people away from our military. We have a recruitment crisis. We need yep. Marines. We need uh, we need Delta team members. Unfortunately, we need special operatives. Can you imagine them going through training and the drill instructor has to say, "Do you mind if I call you a him? If I tell you to go run five miles at dawn?" Jack, don't dismiss that. That is actually happening, right? I believe that there is still uh, there still are DEI training. Uh, classes and gender pronoun classes within the U.S. government. I think that still goes on today. Right? So that's still happening. All right. Well, it's amazing. You and I have lived this long and managed to live this long without really hurting a ton of people's feelings and being respectful and paying our taxes and trying to not break the law and And, help others, open doors, open doors for people looking for work. Yep. Help young people loans. help help young people when someone says, "Hey, my nephew or my niece or they are getting out of college." Can you can you talk to them about media communications? Try and help others. Hold the door open when someone's coming through with a bag full of groceries. Stop if someone's falling down in a restaurant with a you know they're unconscious. Do the right thing. It's amazing we've done this and figured it out without all these booby traps because I wouldn't want to hurt someone's feelings by using the term citizen. I mean, this is just whack blank stuff. All right, what else do you have? So actually, on the same theme, Jack, uh, my podcast guest this week 
uh, Toby Peter, actually a former student of mine when I was at the Harvard Kennedy School. He now is the director, uh, co-director of the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank's housing center down in Washington, D.C. He's got some really common sense solutions for the housing crisis. I figured, as you just heard uh, from Luke Myers, Lucas Myers, um, that you know, tomorrow's a big housing day here in the state legislature. I said, let me go to one of the experts who understands this world better than others. Mm-hmm. And so uh, not only do I have uh, Toby describing his personal background, which I think you'll appreciate, uh, and a lot of people should, an immigrant who came from Germany on a student exchange program, ended up in Minnesota, learned to love the opportunity here, went back to Germany and made it his mission to find a way to come to America because this was a land of opportunity. He figures out how to get here as a student. He is now a proud green card holder. And he says, and he said to me on this podcast, he's like, I can't wait for the day when I am allowed to take my oath to this great nation. Like, it's a wonderful story. He's got common sense. Do you, does he know that it's, does he know he should refer to it as a mixed salad versus a melting pot? <laughs> no, he doesn't know that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you just touched. That's a great story. You just touched upon something that I, I again, my I guess the uh, the gene that I have. And I hope I don't offend anyone saying I was born with a gene. But the gene that I have, I'm afflicted with in one respect or another. And I guess it's OK, because. You know, not enough people have it, in all due respect, it's called common sense. So the commonsensical <laughs> gene in me, Dr. Vic, wonders with all this hype and politics and finger-pointing on immigration policy, why is there no discussion in America crediting the individual you just talked about for becoming an American legally? Why yeah. is it almost glorified to become, you know, an illegal migrant seeking asylum and giving them all the rights and housing you can and be, you know, why is, why is the legal process of becoming an American just totally neglected and blown over and ignored because we have a legal process. What is it versus, a, you know, let's just focus on how many folks we're going to let into this country who want to break into it. Why, why is there no discussion yeah. on legally becoming an American? Yeah, look, Jack, I agree. It's, we're definitely not paying enough attention to it. But again, I'll just stay on this one specific of Toby. He was a student from Germany when I was at Harvard and I got to know him. He really wanted help to get a a, a job where he could be sponsored and get the education visa transition to a workforce visa. He managed to find that. I helped him. Others helped him. And then he's paid taxes for the last decade, right? He's contributing. He's actually a leading thought, a thoughtful person helping develop policy that makes sense with less government intervention, more free markets to unlock the housing markets that are currently stuck and we have a crisis. And he is a major contributor. He is not yet an American citizen. He owns a green card, and he is excited about becoming one. That's We want more of that, right? We want as much of that as possible. I'm glad you used the term unlock the uh, the economy versus unleash, because I've heard that's a bad term as well. (laughs) I know. There's a lot of bad terms. I get it. Um, So that's the podcast this week, Jack. But again, really quickly, from an economic data perspective, I know uh, we got time. No, we got time. Uh, we got time? Okay, good. Well, you know, we saw retail sales came out this morning. The American consumer is not as strong as we thought in December because they did some revisions, and then January, slower than we expected. So, again, you know, we can hear that the economy is doing great, but at the base level of individuals, they are not feeling it. They do not have the confidence. People are quitting jobs at a lower rate. That's a sign of lower confidence. They're spending less when they go to the grocery stores. That's a sign of lower confidence. 
And when you factor in the, the reality that prices are up and retail sales are measured in terms of dollars, that means the volume of purchases is probably down more than people are understanding mm-hmm. or expecting. So, again, not sure where this goes, but let me put some just clarity on it. With inflation staying sticky and the economy slowing, this is not a good combination. Well, I was going to say, it's been a dog's day since we've seen lower prices, but I might offend the um, felines, the cats in the audience, so I can't say dog's day. <laughs> well, feline days. Say feline days, too. They do uh, both. Oh or they goodness. days. They days for both of them, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, Dr. Vic, <laughs> thank you. Navigating right. uncertainty in the book, The Generalist, thank you. All right. Thanks very much, Jack. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Rory, I just had some commentary in the last hour. I'm convinced when I look at coverage almost daily on things out of Washington and beyond, that the national media absolutely, despite polls showing almost 80% of those polls, don't want it to be Biden and Trump in the end as the two main choices. I think the Mm -hmm. national media absolutely wants that. But take it away, Rory. Well, you know, Politico took a deep look into exactly what it would take to change either Joe Biden or Donald Trump at the top of the ticket. And at this point now in the primary process, it looks like both men will wrap up their nominations in the the coming months. But essentially, it comes down to the timeline of does either Joe Biden or Donald Trump say, I will not accept my party's nomination between the end of the primaries and the convention and what then can be done in that time frame and then on the convention floor, or if they decide to opt out of the race after the convention, but before Election Day. That is a whole lot more complicated, by the way, uh, and probably will end up in the courts. But this, um, in both cases, assumes either man would voluntarily make this decision not to accept their nomination. Now, highly unlikely, not impossible, highly unlikely that either one, that would be the case. Uh, exactly. And, you know, the, the, that, one, that first scenario with Joe Biden saying, I will not accept the nomination before the convention, That would get messy, but not half as bad as if it were to happen after the convention, because in many cases, ballots start going out to overseas soldiers, for instance, uh, in September. And then if it comes back with Joe Biden's name on it, but he's not the candidate anymore, then that ballot gets brought to court and there's interpretations and it really gets screwy after that. Yeah, the the only other thing that could happen, but anything could happen because life is unpredictable for any one of us, by the way, not just not just Joe yeah, not just Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but uh, the other thing could happen is a a surprise 25th Amendment process. If something happens where Joe Biden becomes more incapacitated, the president of the United States, commander in chief, more incapacitated on cognitive issues, which, as we know, it's just like being physically incapacitated. If you're undergoing surgery, there are provisions. And if that becomes a ca- uh, case, for example, the Joint Chiefs of Staff or someone raises their hand, I'm not saying it will happen, but it could um, and then the other thing is, you know, Joe Biden is old, is eld- as a nice elderly man and as poor as his memory is. People see it every day. He's not going anywhere unless he decides he wants to or Jill Biden, because it's hard to tell an incumbent you're going anywhere. I mean, it's just it's it's I don't think he's going to take himself out. Put it that way. Well, right. According to the convention terms, it's death, resignation or disability, unquote. And those are the options unless they decide uh, again to to reject the nomination. And then it's off to the uh, even the governor's association, the Democratic leadership and ultimately the 450 members of the DNC. 
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because the polls show that the last thing people want is the main choice is to be Biden and Trump, and it's probably exactly what they're going to get. That seems to be the path that we're on, unfortunately. All right, Rory O'Neill, I'm News National Correspondent. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack.